Welcome back into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the people's podcast, the players podcast, the only podcast that, that matters in the heart and minds of Philadelphia Flyers fans of the Delaware Valley. I'm Russ Joy. You can find me on Twitter if you want, or even if you don't want to, I'm still there, at Joy on Broad, joined as always by the illustrious, the effervescent, the oracle of knowledge. That would be one Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter. And I know you want to at Ant San Philly. Anthony, how are you? Flyers action to quote the great Jose and Norris town. We have hockey action, yo. Yeah. Um, by the way, I just liked your uh, malapropism that really kind of worked there. Yeah. Yeah. You said the, the heart and minds of Flyers fans as if they have one heart, but multiple minds because they do. And it's exactly correct. Thank you. I don't think you meant it. I did. <laughs> But you yes. hocking a you hocking a loogie or is that a was no, that a was, giggle? That was a snorting giggle. Although oh. I could be still hocking loogies. I'm still not well. We're th- we're three weeks into this. Hey buddy, we're all Flyers fans. None of us are particularly well. Am I right? Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, yeah. Hey, the season started, Russ. I love it. I there there's nothing quite like this month. Um it there there's so many great things going on. They say that it's the ultimate nerd month for sports. Of course, you've got the baseball playoffs winding down. Uh, I, I haven't been able to find the Phillies, oddly enough, but uh, I'm sure they're there somewhere. Football is back. Of course, the sport that we care about, hockey, is back. Basketball is about to start back up. And, and even your favorite team in the city, the Philadelphia Union, have clinched a playoff berth. So a lot going on in the city. But, of course, the... the Wait, didn't they play for the championship already? Wasn't that played, like two, the, two weeks ago? They played ago? for the U.S. Open Cup. They lost. But they they uh, clinched a playoff spot, and they actually have the uh, most oh. points in in their uh, club's history in a single season. So Take two. They look... They look poised to go for a, a home field game. Don't don't hate on the Union, Anthony. They got us through some tough times in the summer. They did. They lost the championship focus. last week, and now they're playing right. for the playoffs uh, again. Okay, go ahead. Go on. Go. Hockey Here time. Here we go. Here we go. Yep. Okay, thanks, man. So uh, let's let's talk about the Flyers. So the, the team goes in, and uh, we've we got two games that we need to recap uh, prior to, I guess this will go out Tuesday, so prior to tonight's match against the uh, the San Jose Sharks, Let's, I guess, lead it off with the the positives, and that, of course, was a 5-2 victory on opening night against the Vegas Golden Knights, a, a rather dominating performance by the Orange and Black against a, a team that, you know, represented the Western Conference, albeit surprisingly, in last year's Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, I mean, I, it was a good game um, for the Flyers. I didn't like how they played early. Um they really Vegas really took it to them in the first period. Um, Flyers ended up ahead because they got a couple fluky goals, but uh, Vegas was really the better team in the first period. Flyers were better from that point forward. Um, built a five-one lead and then uh, gave up a goal late. But yeah, that's a, that was a good effort. I mean, I, I was really impressed with the game plan against Vegas because. Vegas beats you with their speed and you know and their just their skating ability in general. And the Flyers really did a nice job. You hear it all the time. It's such a cliche thing in hockey, but they really did do a nice job taking away time and space for the for the Golden Knights. Those guys really couldn't get moving um because the Flyers really bottled them up. And that was a smart approach to take against the Knights. And, you know, with the exception of, uh, I guess, Robert Haig's goal was the only one that was really a clean 
goal for the Flyers of the five. Um, the others were, you know, goals that you get when you create your own luck or when you work hard. And I mean, Wayne Simmons had two goals that were, um, you know, right on the doorstep. They went a grand total of about 12 inches. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, overall, I thought that they, they played a pretty solid game. I, I, Brian Elliott was, was really good in the opener, uh, was even better in the loss in Colorado. Um, and I, I know you, you don't want me jumping around too much here, Russ, but I don't care. Jump, (laughs) have fun. We'll, we'll bring it back around. Go ahead. Yeah. I, People are going to think I'm nuts. But I think, on the whole, I liked the way the Flyers played against Colorado in the loss better than I did the way they played against Vegas in the win. All right, now pump the brakes for a second. We'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, okay. I, I, I want to lead off uh, my So, so much for me riveting. just jumping wherever I want. Well, okay. Go, go, no, no, go ahead. Okay. No, you're fine. So I, I just want to lead off the uh, I was right segment of the show with uh, something that I brought up over the offseason. And, and that, of here, course, was here we go. Uh, me saying that, you know, if the team doesn't get rid of Wayne Simmons, wouldn't it be a thing if Wayne Simmons ends up coming back and being close to healthy and ends up becoming the Wayne train that we have all grown to, to know and love him as? And Simmons goes out on the third line, first game of the season, scores two goals. Now, of course... Neither of these are particularly clean goals. As a matter of fact, they're the kind of goals that you would expect Wayne to have. Getting down low in the crease and, and you know, really fighting uh, to get the puck across the line. And, and ultimately, ends up with two goals on the day. And and I think more than anything, that was a, um, initially, that was a pretty encouraging sign. Then also finding out that he was going to be on one of the power play units, I think uh, you and I had kind of pondered the possibility that, you know, well, what happens if conceptually on a power play, you manage to have JVR and Wayne Simmons? And I think at some point in the offseason, I had said, wouldn't it be interesting if they put Simmons and JVR on a line with like a Nolan Patrick or something like that, just for the, the sake of having two big bodies and two guys who can redirect pucks and screen the key, the, uh, the goalie, wouldn't that be cool? And wow, how about that, Anthony? They, uh, they both started together on the third line, and Wayne Simmons had two goals. So you mean to tell me you and Dave Hackstall think alike? Well, I'm saying that, you know, Dave, of course, listens to the podcast, as do many people in the Flyers organization, because after all, there is a uh, a, a sheer lack of Flyers content out there as we no. are the only the only we are the people's podcast, the players podcast, the uh, uh, personnel podcast. We'll take that. There's another moniker for us. But no, seriously, Wayne, Wayne Simmons, um, him coming back and, and looking, I would say, honestly, healthier than he did at any point last season. And looking more like the guy that we've grown accustomed to seeing, I think, was a uh, a real positive. And you know, never mind the fact that you know we got the the word uh, what was it today that JVR is going to be out for an extended period of time, and you would kind of assume that Wayne Simmons is going to kind of slide into what the JVR role was going to be, which is similar to what we've expected of him the last few years. So, if Wayne is going to play well, and maybe that helps to bridge this gap, and and the JVR loss isn't going to be felt quite as heavily as it would have been, you know, with an injured Wayne. So you're really going all in on this, right? I am. I'm I'm glad that you're going all in after one performance. Um yeah, Wayne Simmons was was good in the first game. You, you know, you don't score two goals and really not play well. Um 
the first goal was they're, they're do i dare say gritty goals oh stop it the first goal was uh was pretty fortunate um turnover Haig takes a shot hits a body in front is about to go across the the goal line defenseman makes a lunging save to keep it out hits off the far crossbar and Simmons just comes in and goes oh okay here tap okay yeah he went to the net go to the net that's what you're supposed to do he's always going to go to the net that's there's no being negative on this podcast Anthony and then the the second goal is is better it's a power play goal um, a place those... that, by the way, I think the last time we had talked about it, you said that you did not foresee Wayne Simmons well, on the power play. I'm and there he is. There. I'm getting there. There he is, my friend. I'm getting there. Um, so then he gets a, a pretty typical Wayne Simmons type goal. And uh, yeah, he's playing on the first power play. And the reason that he was is because, to be honest with you, JVR was pretty terrible in camp. I mean, really not good in uh, training camp and in uh, preseason. Um, So much so that he, you know, when we were down there, we were talking about him playing on that line with Patrick and Voracek, and that's where they had him for the first two weeks of camp. And it wasn't until the the last couple games um, that they took Voracek, I mean, um, JVR off that line and put Oscar Limblom up there and dropped JVR to the third line with Vorobiev and, and Simmons. And uh, not only did JVR lose his spot on the second line, he lost his spot in the top power play because he was playing top power play as well. Um, and I think it makes it easier when a guy's not playing well to take him off the first power play when you can replace him with a Wayne Simmons. Um, but that said, it, it's more of Simmons playing there is more of a knock on how JVR was playing than it was oh, Wayne Simmons is back and deserves to be on this top power play unit again. So, eh, kudos to him. But I'm not ready to just sit there and say, oh, he's back to being his old self. He's going to score 30 goals. He's going to be a beast on the power play again. No worries. Wayne Simmons is okay. He might score 40. Oh, jeez, Russ. Do I I'm just say 50? Oh, I I hope he scores 30 goals again. It would be I, nice. He's a, he's a, he's a well, really good player, and I like him, and I want to see him do well. But I, I'm also... I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on sitting there saying that he's back after just having one decent game. Well, I, I, I guess we do kind of have to question whether or not this goes back to a, a long-held off-season debate that you and I had, and that was, you know, is it good for the Flyers if Wayne Simmons is that high productivity or that highly productive player if he becomes a 25-30 goal scorer again, if he does rebound in that way? Because, of course, if that is the case, then... You know, the contract uh, negotiation that did not work out, there there was no extension reached, you know, that could theoretically loom over the team the entire season. Or, you know, once again, does this team decide to cut bait at the trade deadline and get something of value back for Wayne Simmons if he's in good form? And honestly, I, I wouldn't blame them, although, you know, we've talked about this numerous times, the, the locker room would not be the same without him. And I, I don't think that would be a great way to position yourself for the postseason. But, you know, whatever. That's a long way away. I would like to think that Wayne Simmons is going to be, you know, even 80% of the player that we're used to would be a success. Um, you know, it's it's just like anything else. Guys in this sport especially play injured. They play through things that they probably shouldn't. And in the case of Wayne Simmons, you know, he, he really did soldier through last season. But 
you can definitely see a discernible difference between the Simmons of old and, and what we saw, you know, against Vegas versus what we saw for pretty much the entirety or at least the, the last two thirds of last season. Yeah, no, there was, he definitely was skating better. Um, I, you know, I, again, I, I, I don't want to be the guy who's, you know, sitting here criticizing because uh, I'm not, I don't think that there's a criticism to be had here. Um, I'm just not ready. I'm just not as gung ho as you are to say, "Oh, he's back, baby. He's gonna be the he's gonna be the the Wayne train again. We're gonna be seeing the choo choo Twitter stuff all the time." It's just I don't. I'm not ready to do that after just one game. Well, you know, after I'm, today's uh, JHI news, we we don't have the J train, so we better get the Wayne train. <laughs> you know, there's only uh, enough space in this town for one train, and it will be the Wayne train. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, how about how about the fact that Robert Haig was a uh, a guy who. You know, some parts of the uh, the Flyers' Twitterverse, uh, you know, he was kind of much maligned in, in certain segments of the fan base last year. And even going into this season, it didn't seem like the expectations were all that high for Haig. Um, he manages to, to put a puck in the net. He ends up with two points in the first game. That's not a terrible showing for him. And like you said, it was maybe the only clean goal of the night, right? So not so bad. Oscar Lindblom manages to uh, continue what I would say is, is a... Um, maybe a little bit more extended than we expected, um, version of, of him getting acclimated to the speed of the game. He certainly has looked more comfortable. I think even in camp when we were down in four, he's, uh, Lindblom's been looking better and he's been looking like a guy who, you know, belongs at this level. So I thought those were two encouraging signs. And of course, you know, my boy, uh, guy, I believe in Scott Lawton, you know, scores a, a goal in that game as well. So I don't know. I, I was, I was pretty positive. I understand and we'll get into, I guess, now, you know, why you thought the Flyers played a better brand of, of hockey in their second game in that, you know, 5-2 loss to Colorado. But there were some encouraging things to take away, especially, you know, you stay up until, what, 10 to get ready for the game and don't go to bed until close to 1. It's nice to see the uh, Flyers reward you for, for your time and effort in that first game of the season. Yeah, the first game was not a bad performance. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it was a bad performance. It's just that I think that the Flyers, in order to win that game, really just needed to focus on taking a lot away from Vegas. And, you know, they had the good fortune of getting four ugly goals. Um, and that's good. And, that you know, that's again, that's a good thing. Um, it, just the game against Colorado, I mean, the final score is 5-2. to two, But keep in mind, it's a one-goal game with four minutes to go before the Avalanche get the power play goal to go up by two, and then they add an empty netter to win by three, and so it makes it look worse than it really was. Before the Flyers experience a uh, an avalanche of goals. <laughs> Funny. Um, but, you know, you also got to remember, too, that there was the, um, you know, the, the hotly debated goal by Colorado that gave them the one goal lead to begin with. Uh, goalie interference. Should it have been goalie interference on Gabriel Landeskog or not? Um, and... Uh, you know, we can talk about it. I mean, that to me is a tough call. Look, in, if if I'm the king of the world and um, I get to make all the rules in all the sports, that's a goal, okay? That's that that's not goalie interference. But by the book, the by the way the rule is written, and it is written vaguely, to be fair. But by the way the it's written today, um, yeah, that's goalie interference. I mean, it's, if you're going to go by the book, then that goal should have been disallowed. Um, so that said, I, I thought the Flyers in that game, instead of, you know, focusing on, on taking away, um, uh, time and space from the avalanche, they skated with them. 
and which, which was an encouraging thing to see because the Flyers aren't the fastest team in the NHL. They have some speed, but not they don't have great team speed. They're just kind of you know fair to middling in that department. But they skated with Colorado. Did it a man short for most of the game with JVR out, um, and also did it in the thin air of Denver. Um, so I, I was really impressed with the flow of the game. Um, were there turnovers? Were there mistakes? Yes. Um, do they need to cut them out because most of them were happening in their own end or uh, in their half of the neutral zone and you know coming right back at Brian Elliott and he had to save their bacon? Yeah, sure. But on the whole, I'd rather the Flyers play that kind of game, make some mistakes and you know hope the goalie bails them out than a more passive game. I just think that they play they play better. Even though the outcomes were not right, uh, to, to, to back my theory uh, in the first two games, I'd much rather see the Flyers play the way they did against Colorado than the way they played against Vegas. You know, I, I think maybe one of the things that stood out the most, and it shouldn't have, it's a, a personnel change that really shouldn't affect the game at all, but you have to kind of wonder if it did, was yes. taking taking Radko Gudis out of the yes. lineup and putting uh, Chris Follin in, and and, yes. and Fullen's a guy who really doesn't, one, belong on the NHL roster, and two, if he does, he's he's your seventh defenseman. He's up in the press box with us or something. But, like, I I, I don't necessarily want to beat the drum of, you know, Radko Gudis being this incredible player. He's got his flaws. We've, we've all seen them over the course of his career uh, in the orange and black. But Gudis isn't a guy that I, I thought should have been pulled and Follin's not a guy who inspires confidence, nor is he a guy that has, you know, some kind of high upside. He he is what he is, and what that is is a below average defenseman. And so uh, he was individually responsible for, if I remember correctly, three goals, um, two pretty much directly, one indirectly. Um, he he just had a, a very poor debut as a flyer, and um, if it's the last time we see him for a while, that would be a-okay with me. I, I still can't really conceptualize what the, the thought process was uh, in Dave Hackstall's game plan of, of why he pulled Gudis for Follin, and it certainly did not pan out or work out for this team. Yeah, I, it didn't make any sense to me. I mean, Gudis didn't have a great game against Vegas, but he didn't necessarily have a poor game either. Um, I thought he was fine. Um so to make that change doesn't make sense. Now, he did the same thing last season, if you recall, with Brandon Manning and Travis Sanheim. Um, I forget if it was Manning played the opener and then Sanheim played the second game or if it was vice versa. I don't remember the order that it was, but he did the same thing. Um, and I don't know if it's just like an extended uh, competition kind of thing or, or what, but Christian Fallen didn't do anything to make me think he should have made the team in camp or in preseason. I thought he was awful <laughs> in the preseason. I really did. So much so that I thought that they might be better off carrying a guy like TJ Brennan Ooh. or Mark Friedman as your seventh defenseman than they would have been Christian Follin. Yeah, I mean, there was that thought process, too. I know it was hopeful for fans, and really it wouldn't have been in his best, you know, in his best interest. But even the idea of keeping Phil Myers up yeah, just to well, travel I, with the team. And now, obviously, I think him getting minutes in the AHL is is vastly more important than him being 
seventh defenseman. We saw what happened last year with Travis Sanheim and, and him getting so acquainted with the uh, with the box that you know he missed out on some probably crucial development, crucial minutes uh, in a pro career. But yeah, Fullen just doesn't make any sense. It, it's not even like there's. Um, I'm trying to think what the the best comparison here is. It's it's not like he's a guy who had at one time in his career been this lights out defenseman who like caught a, a couple bad injuries in consecutive years and you took a, a flyer on a guy in the hopes that he was going to return to great form. He, he's never really been that guy. So the idea of inserting him into this lineup, especially after, again, you went on the road in, in game one, you had a rather dominating performance over the Western Conference champions, to to go tinker with the lineup for no real reason and, and see the results that it yielded, I, I would certainly hope that Haxtell is going to go back to you know his pairings that he used in game one. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how they were at practice today. Um, so I don't anticipate that changing for the home opener against the Sharks. I did notice um, the lines at practice. Um, Jordan Wheel, uh, our buddy, our boy. Um, replacing JVR as the third line left wing. Hmm. And hmm. that hmm. Hmm. kind of befuddled hmm. me a little bit. Huh. He's going on the third line, you say. He's going to be a top nine forward, you say. He couldn't have, I don't know, perhaps been on the fourth line instead of, you know, in the press box. We couldn't have, uh, you know, maybe put Jordan Wheel somewhere on a fourth line and actually had a quasi-skilled, quasi-skatable fourth line. No, 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 no. Why would we ever do that? So here's the thing. Jordan Wheel's better at center than he is as a wing. I don't understand this need to play Yuri Laterra as your fourth line center. I really don't. Now, I guess he's a good he's, locker room presence, Anthony. Okay, Didn't fine. You know that? So, I guess he's got to be in the lineup now that JVR's hurt. So, why not keep Wheel at center? Move Laterra to the wing. And if you say, "Well, we don't want Laterra playing the third line minutes." I get it. But you could put Michael Roffel or Scott Lawton on that line and not you know, not embarrass yourself and have wheel centering Laterra and the other of those two guys. Keep wheel in the middle of the ice where he's more creative, where he can skate more, use his, use his legs more. Um, because I'll tell you what, his first two games, I thought Lawton and Raffle were really good. And I barely remember even seeing Yuri Laterra on the ice. Um, so, so yeah, like, to me, I, I don't understand sometimes what they're thinking. And the I, coach's affinity for Yori Laterra is something that I think long after Dave Haxtell is gone and, and we're looking back at this this pivotal juncture in, in Flyers history, uh, I, I think that's going to be the one that, that's going to stand well, out. Like every, every coach gets obsessed with at least one player that nobody can really rationalize why the guys, one, on the roster, two, playing big minutes. And for a long time, it was Andrew McDonald. And at this point, I've, I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that, you know what, like, Andrew McDonald's not a not a bad defenseman. He's definitely an NHL-caliber defenseman. He's, he's on a bad contract. It's not his fault that he accepted a, a deal that was worth more than he, you know, he and his play dictated. Fine. But, like, at this point, when you look at, at just sheer production, Yori Laterra is not, like, he might be a bottom 10 forward in the entire league, right? Yes. And and the concept of him moving out to wing just for the sake of, like, 
keeping him in the lineup. Oh, my God. I, like, what does Yori Letera on the wing even look like? Do we just send him down in the crease and hope that, you know, he, he uh, thinks that he's JVR? Do we, like, give him JVR's helmet? Do we give him JVR's visor and just say, you know, go out there and play like James? Like, I, I, I don't know, but I can't imagine Yori Letera really, uh, you know, keeping up with the play at the wing. So, I, I, I don't know. None of it makes sense, but this this coach's, you know, seeming platonic love for Yori is is complex and um I, I don't know, something I just can't wrap my mind around. So well here's here's what here's where it's a contradiction in terms, right? So you have uh, we just talked about Christian Fallen on defense. And Fallen is here on a one year deal, eight hundred thousand dollars, which is a little bit more than the veteran minimum. Um but the Flyers would rather have a guy like that as their number seven defenseman than Brandon Manning, who signed a two-year, $4.5 million deal with the Chicago Blackhawks, which kind of blows me away that he's worth that much money. But um, regardless, I mean, there's obviously a mark. There was obviously a market for a 5'6 defenseman at 2.25 or whatever it is exactly that Manning's getting each year. Um, and the Flyers would rather save, you know, that $1.2 million and just go with a lesser quality player on uh, as their number seven defenseman. Okay, if well, if that's the case, if that's the case, why are you not willing to, you know, play a lower salaried player in place of the four point seven million dollars you're paying Yuri Laterra? Like that's like that's the one. It doesn't it doesn't equate. Like they they'd rather save money on one position and play with a lesser quality player but in another position where they're paying him big bucks they're keeping him in the lineup for no apparent reason he could still be that locker room presence uh that they like and not be in the lineup so i i don't know it just it just doesn't make sense to me i i think that it's the it's the real weakness in the in the top 12 it's the real weakness there um, there's other weaknesses in different capacities, but I at least understand the roles that all other 11 forwards have. I just don't see Yuri Laterra's. I don't get it. I know he's on the PK this year, but I don't know. I I think there are other players that can do what he does, and and you could have waived him and sent, <coughs> sent that salary down to the Phantoms. I think there are some guys on this team that we could amputate a leg on, and they would still get up and down the ice a little bit faster, but you know what do I know? Um, so I, I, all right, let's, let's kind of take, um, I don't know, a couple guys that you've been impressed by in the early going. Uh, I, I would have to say Vorobiev's got to be one of them, right? Well, he, he he's certainly okay. acquitted himself yeah. quite well to this level. Hey, he's been okay. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's blown me away. I mean, he's, he got destroyed in the face off circle. Um, I think he won 16% of his draws against Vegas. I mean, that was terrible. Um, so I mean, but that's again that comes with time. It comes with experience. I'm I'm not going to sit here and say, oh my God, he's he shouldn't be playing third line center because he's going to get killed by the top line centers all the time in the faceoff circle. Um, he scored a goal, but it was a gift. <laughs> I mean that Colorado running each other over, right? <laughs> and then um, and then the puck's just sitting there, and he puts it into an open net. Um, I I thought that the third line was okay. Um, I didn't like the way JVR played against Vegas. He didn't really get an opportunity to play much against Colorado before getting hurt, um, which we still have to talk about uh, that that injury. But uh, yeah, I think you know Vorobiev's been been fine. I mean, he's 
you know, he's not going to set the world on fire, but I, you know, he's he's also pretty responsible. I do like the way he plays uh, in his own end. I do think he's a responsible forward, and that's that's something that you know, if you're looking for something to impress you about a young player, um, when young players play smart defensively as forwards. That impresses me. That's why I've always liked Couturier because he did that from the time he came into the league at 18. Um, and Vorobiev's a little bit older, but he has that same mentality. He's not as obviously not as good a player as Couturier, but has that same mentality. And so that impresses me about him so far. Let's take a look at Brian Elliott, who um, I, I think this is kind of the difference between the people who watch the games and the people who merely look at the box score at yeah. the end of at the end of the game, right? Yeah. Um, Brian Elliott threw two mat or through God, I keep saying matches. I'm, my mind is fully in soccer mode. Um, through two games so far, Brian Elliott's stats aren't the greatest, um, but he he's had a you know a, a much better showing uh, than the numbers might indicate. Um, obviously, he. Um, his goals against average at this point uh, is well. His save percentage is uh, just just under ninety percent. It's eighty nine point eight percent. He's faced fifty nine shots, uh, fifty three saves on those. Not fantastic numbers. Certainly not elite numbers. These aren't going to win you uh, many games. But he's been under fire constantly, and it's not like the Flyers' defense has been handing. The opposing team a knife they've really handed them a gatling gun in the first two matches or first two games and elliot has done pretty much anything and everything he can I, the one that comes to mind is uh was it eric johnson had had three shots on goal in rapid succession and elliot stoned all three he he looks like a man possessed right now and he's exactly what they need yeah I, he's been fantastic i mean i i tweeted he's the out, goalie they need not the goalie they deserve yeah i <laughs> i tweeted out jokingly um during the second period of the Colorado game that through five periods, Brian Elliott was the Flyers MVP this year. Um, but he has been. I mean, he's he kept them in the game early against Vegas when Vegas was dominating in the first period. Um, kept them only at one nothing. It could have been 2 3 nothing, and then maybe the Flyers don't ever come back. Um, and he was really, really good against Colorado. I mean, really good. Nathan McKinnon, one of the best pure scorers in hockey had six shots on him, many of them from high percentage scoring areas. And, uh, and Elliot stopped all six. I mean, McKinnon scored an empty netter, um, on his seventh shot, but, uh, the first six were stoned by Elliot. You mentioned the three saves on Eric Johnson. He, there was a two on none, uh, and he made a, a shoulder pad save, um, he, really, he the, the the Flyers weren't out of the game until four minutes to go in, in, in the contest. And it was all because Brian Elliott kept them there. Um, I, now, I, can he play this way over the course of an entire season? Well, that remains to be seen. I mean, Elliott has always kind of played the same. If you look at his career arc, his goals against and his save percentage are pretty on par season after season with each other. Um, so, I mean, he's that, I think ultimately that's the goalie he's going to be. But when they have bad games defensively or or they turn the puck over or whatever the case might be, and you need your goalie to make a big save, it would be nice if Brian Elliott could play to the level that he played in these first two games uh, with, with a lot of consistency. Because I think, I think if Brian Elliott can play 
his his level of hockey, his typical level of hockey, and maybe just ramp it up just a hair. Maybe make that save that you don't expect a goalie to make, or you know the Big Ten Bell one that kind of changes the momentum of a game here and there. I think that could be the difference between this team, you know, fighting for a playoff spot on the final two or three games and actually having the breathing room that they need going into the last couple of weeks of the season, uh, knowing they already have a playoff spot pretty much locked up. I'm just kind of waiting for the uh, the segment of Flyers fans who are casual, who, again, don't watch the games or didn't stay up for these two. No offense to those people. I mean, it, it is late. Um, but the, the group who was going to sit back now and say, well, why couldn't Carter Hart have been up here? And why is Carter Hart not getting the start? That kind of leads us down the uh, the weird rabbit hole that it that existed of uh, of goalies and the goalie situations, including Stoli the goalie, including uh, Pickard getting picked up, and uh, you know we'd already covered that that Carter Hart had been sent down, but the Flyers were juggling players, and even uh, it was last was last Sunday, Hextall hadn't yet announced uh, who the final cut was going to be, and it turns out they they ended up sending two guys down to try to, I guess, give themselves some roster flexibility, uh, led to a weird kind of turn of a series of events. Stolarz ends up going down, and now Pickard is, is officially on the uh, the roster. Do you have much of a feeling either way of, of how he's going to perform for this team? Is he any better than, than a Michael Neuwirth, who obviously can't stay healthy? But what, what do we expect here? Well, first of all, I don't understand why they needed a sixth goalie other than the fact that they had injuries and... Uh, unless Neuver's injury is long, long-term, and it didn't seem like it was going to be the way Hextall was talking initially, but we haven't really gotten a, a legit update on him since. Um, having a sixth goalie that's NHL caliber really didn't make sense because are you really that opposed to giving Anthony Stolarz you know, a couple of games between now and when Alex Lyon's going to be healthy again or Neuver can come back. I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was necessary, but they do it anyway. So now there are six goalies in the organization. And Calvin Pickard was a guy that they had interest in last year, as a matter of fact. It was a guy that uh, was on their radar when they um, ultimately traded for Peter Morazic from Detroit. Oh, um, the great, the yeah. great Peter Morazic. Well, Pickard was having a really nice season for the Toronto Marlies, um, who went on to uh, win the Calder Cup last year, um, and uh, was their goalie there. Uh, had a nice season, um, and he's got some NHL experience. Uh, he was a second-round draft pick, was considered a, a top goalie prospect uh, with the Avalanche. Never really panned out at the NHL level, and ultimately is probably just a, an NHL backup. Um, I think he'll be fine in that role for however long he's in it. But I'm just not sure where the Flyers are going with this goalie situation. Because let's just say three weeks from now, there's no more goalie injuries and everybody's healthy. Well, what the hell are they going to do with six goalies? You can't carry four on the AHL roster. I mean, I guess you could carry three down there, but you really don't want three at the NHL roster. So who knows Who knows what they're doing? I, I, I don't know. I'm really kind of perplexed by the whole thing. That said, I think Pickard's going to get the play against Ottawa Wednesday in Ottawa. Uh, Flyers have back-to-backs. Elliott will certainly play the home opener against the Sharks. Um, 
and then they play Wednesday in in Ottawa before coming back home to play Vegas again on Saturday. And I think you're going to see Elliott play that game as well. So it just seems to make sense that um, if if you're going to give Elliott a night off, it's going to be against Ottawa, who's probably the worst team in hockey. Um, and on and and not only that, it's the second night of a back to back. So um, it just seems to make the most sense that that's when Pickard makes his uh, Flyers debut. Do we have anything, uh, any kind of insight about what the JVR injury is going to be? Uh, what well, what the expectations are? the The team announced that it it looks like it's going to be a six or so week injury. Yeah, so it, they said five to six weeks, lower body. But we all saw what happened, right? Um, you got hit in the knee with a with a puck. Um, so we know it's a knee injury. I I have a hard time coming up with a knee injury the result of a clearing attempt into the knee. Like I know the, I know pucks are frozen rubber and even though even a clearing attempt can, can hurt, I get it. Um, but I was certainly wrong in my initial assessment. Like he came out and tried to skate on it and stuff like that. Like I thought, okay, this, if this is an injury, it's probably not anything that's going to be considered long-term. turns out that the flyers are saying it's five to six weeks. I think they might be selling us a little bit of a bill of goods there, and I, I can't say this with 100% certainty until I get down to that arena and, and maybe talk to somebody uh, at the home opener and get a real sense for it. But um, I, the way Hextall has – the way injuries have been taken care of or, and you know handled since Hextall has been the GM has been a little all over the place. And there have been a number of occasions where the Flyers gave out an initial – prognosis and then the player came back faster um i wouldn't be surprised if this is more of a four-week injury three to four-week injury than a five to six-week injury um we didn't hear anything about surgery right no they would have said something if if he was having some kind of surgery um yeah i just i don't know Maybe there's like a micro fracture. Maybe that's why they're saying five to six weeks. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of is that when you get hit with a puck, I mean, it's an impact injury. So maybe there's like a little micro fracture in there somewhere. And maybe that's what they say keeps them out longer. But again, I, I, I've i seen the, I've seen the Flyers go, you know, give us a little bit longer prognosis and guys come back sooner. So I, I really wouldn't be surprised if he's back early November and not, mid to late November, as as the uh, calendar would indicate. Hmm. All right. I think that maybe that'll that'll kind of settle people down a little bit. Yeah, it seems seem like I th- I think it's just kind of the the eternal pessimist in in the Philadelphia sports fan uh, mentality that you know you see JVR go down and now all of a sudden everybody expects him to be out like three times as long. Got to remember that the Flyers doctors are not the Sixers doctors, so if they say that somebody hit their knee it doesn't mean that their knee has actually exploded and they need a knee replacement so i don't know be patient right yeah i mean i you know there's a lot of thought that this is a he'll miss about a quarter of the season with this right with you know 18 20 games and that's rough like that's not what you paid the guy for no but i I don't think it's going to be that long i think he i think he'll miss somewhere in the you know 13 about 13 to 15 game stretch is what i look at so all right. Um, before we move on to our final segment, I, I there's one guy that I'm a little bit concerned with so far, and it's only been two games, so I don't want to be overreactionary. But a guy that I'm certainly expecting to take the the next step or to take a, a pretty big leap in his second season, and, and that's Nolan Patrick. 
And to this point, we haven't really seen a, a whole lot from him. Um, I think the, the top line has, to some extent, struggled. But I, I really did think that when you see Lindblom and Voracek on Patrick's line, especially maybe a little bit more with, with Voracek you know, being part of that, I, I kind of figured that we would have seen more from this line to start the season. And, and at least production-wise, it's not, it's not there. They were overshadowed, at least in the first game, by the third line. And, you know, this team is going to need scoring from, you know, more than just its third line. And, of course, there's going to be, you know, some focus on, on that top line again. And the question of, you know, do they do they blow it up at some point if 10 games into the season we're not getting that same kind of closure on the wing productivity that we saw last season? I don't know. I, I'm I'm not – I would say, like, my concern's at a two, but I'm I'm hoping that the second line is able to turn this around. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, if, if you had to sit there and say what line has been the weakest line for the Flyers through two games, it's easily the Patrick Lindblom-Voracek um, line. At five on five, I think they've been awful. Um, Voracek's been pretty good uh, on the power play. I think he's looked good there. But uh, other than that, they really seem to be dominated on the ice. They're chasing the play a lot. They're not creating um, – and I, I hate to say this, but the, to me, and I know that they like the way Patrick and Limblom play together. I, I don't think of Limblom as a top six forward. I think of him as a third line winger. And I'd rather, I'd rather have seen another player there. Even if JVR didn't look good in in camp, I would have rather you stuck with that and had JVR there. But now he's gone for at least a month, um, so you don't really have many options at this point, other than to keep that line together. Um. Yeah, they they're gonna need to turn it around a little bit. Um, I just don't know where and and how. Like, they're not a good line for matchups. So when you're on the road, teams are gonna try to exploit that line a little bit because it's not a great defensive line. I mean, Limblom's pretty responsible, but Patrick is not a good def- good good defensive player, and Vorchek's a really bad defensive forward. Um. So you also got to keep in mind what defensemen are on the ice with them. Uh, I'd like to if if you're at home, I, I'd like to think Hackstall will try to get a lot of Provorov and Gostaspare out with that line to really maybe help the breakout and get them moving, get them get them skating, get them going up ice with speed. Um, because if they're if they're out there with either of the second two pairs, I, I really think that you're you're hindering them and you're you're hurting the team's chances of creating offense. And that's really the only – that's what they're there for. They're there to create offense. And if they're not creating it, then then you're really not getting what you need from Voracek and, and Patrick. Hmm. <laughs> so, I lost – all right. Well, I'll take it. Um, hey, we got a Twitter yeah. question, by the way. I love Twitter questions. Hit me with it. Yeah. So, at Philly Sports Fan asks – uh, how long does Hexy go before he adds a top four defenseman? Realizing, of course, they are rarely made available. Uh, the current group of bottom four D-men aren't going to cut it unless Sam Sanheim or Haig make major leaps in a hurry. Well, um, you know, I'd like I'd, to hear. I'd like to hear your take before I respond. Well, oddly enough, uh, tonight's matchup against the uh, San Jose Sharks will uh, feature a easily a top four defenseman that was uh, easily attainable from the Ottawa Senators, and that, of course, is Eric Carlson. Boy, would he have looked better. Boy, would it have been better to have Eric Carlson on this uh, West Coast swing 
rather than seeing Christian Follin. Um, yeah, I think the fact that we might have to spend the first however many games of the season debating the merits of starting Follin over Gudis or vice versa tells you pretty much all you need to know about the uh, the, the defensive core at this point. Um, I, I think if you're a Flyers fan and, and you're really hoping to see any kind of you know a, a legitimate defense and, and a defense that meets the modern game, um, maybe you hope that there's an injury to you know a couple of these these uh, older vets and I don't know. Hope that a Phil Myers comes up. I, I don't know. I, I certainly don't see Hexall right now panicking and, and making a move for a top four defenseman. I would guess that if we're 20 games into the season and Elliot's standing on his head and they know in their heart of hearts that he's doing all he can do with the personnel that they provided him with, m- maybe that's when they do it. But I still would honestly expect Hextall to go after a bottom pair defenseman before I'd expect him to go after a you know a top two, top three defenseman. My take is that this was a tragic flaw this season by Hextall. Uh, missing out on, on adding a veteran defenseman in free agency. Um, not that there were a ton out there. Um, and, I, and I know when we interviewed him over the summer, uh, you know, the, one of the things that he wanted to, you know, kind of stress was, uh, you know, the cost certainty. That you want to make sure that if you're signing a player that you're not signing him too long um, and a too big of a contract, knowing that you have somebody ready to come up from the minors, and and I get that approach, I understand it, but it, in some instances, I also th- also think that's depth is a good problem to have. Um, and if it gets to a point where a kid is ready, you bring the kid up and you make a move to get rid of somebody in front of him, right? Um, and there were a couple of names that moved at the at the free agency, um, start of free agency July 1st, um, that weren't Eric Carlson that would have been decent consolation prizes if you weren't going to be part of that um, Carlson bonanza. Um, I thought Ian Cole would, would have been a nice add here. Uh, he's a guy who ended up in Colorado. Um, I thought that he would have been, he would have fit nicely. Um, trying to see what, what uh, I'm going to take a quick look and see what exactly he signed for um, with the uh, with the Avs. I, I, I can't imagine that it was a, a large, large sum of money. Uh, Ian Cole, uh, four, four, two, five. So, I mean, I guess that they didn't want to spend that. He got three years. You know, maybe they would have only wanted to go two years. I don't know. Um, he's a guy that I would have certainly liked um, uh, to see the Flyers try and get. The other one was Calvin DeHaan. Um, yeah, you brought him up a few times. Yeah, I know, I know they were interested in him. Um, he ended up signing with Carolina, um, and he got a four-year deal, four and a half per year. Um, so I think that was probably the length of that contract is probably what ended up hurting the Flyers' ability to get him, I bet you that they would have, if he was willing to go two, uh, they would have gotten him at that figure, maybe even a little bit higher because uh, the Flyers had the space to do it. Um, but again, I'm I i make, I, I'm willing to make that commitment for an extra year or two knowing it will help the team this year. And then if I have to worry about getting rid of a contract a year from now or two years from now, then I, I worry about that then. Um, because I think ultimately this Flyers team is, is not going to achieve what it needs, what it could achieve this season 
because of its lack of, of defensive depth. And it's not really a knock on what you have, but, I mean, geez, if you're willing to platoon Radko Gudis with Christian Folan, then why not spend the extra money and get a guy that you know you can keep in that lineup night in and night out? And that's that's what's that's what I don't understand, and I think that that's where Hextall made the mistake. And so to answer Philly Sport at Philly Sports Quans, Philly Sport fans' question, there you go, Tom um, Yeah, I know, right? Um, how long does Hexy go before he adds a top four D man? I think it depends on where they're at come the trade deadline. I mean, if they're in a spot where they think they can make a good run, then I think he might make that move. Um, trade from the minor league system, which is, you know, arguably the number one or number two system in hockey, um, and get a guy who maybe is a unrestricted free agent or only has another year left on his deal um, hmm, hmm, hmm. and bring him in. But if they're toward the bottom again of the of the playoff thing, you know, fighting for their lives, I, I don't see it. I don't yeah. see him spending it. Spending it, I think he goes with he sticks with what he has, and it's all part of the plan, all part of the rebuild. Um, and I know people don't want to hear that. I know that they want to see this team be a competitor now. And I think that there's some there's a there's a possibility that they can be a little bit more competitive than they were last year. I just worry that they don't have enough on defense, or in goal for that matter. And that's not a knock on Elliott, but like if if you had if you had an all star caliber goalie playing behind a mediocre defense. It wouldn't bother you as much, right? But if you have a, you know, an okay goalie behind in mediocre defense, then it scares you a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the that in, in itself is the difference. And I think that that was the big mistake that Hextall missed this summer. He should have added a defenseman and didn't. There was a response to a Philly sports fans tweet uh, by Mike Assetto, and I I wanted to touch on it quick because I, I I do think it speaks. You know, on behalf of a, a pretty considerable size of the fan base. Uh, Dave Hackstall will not let Sanheim even attempt to make that leap. I wouldn't trade anything. Just let the damn young players get some experience to take on those roles instead of constantly kicking the can down the road. So sick of Hack. I get that. Like, I, I definitely get the the idea or the feeling that Hackstall is afraid to, you know, play these young defensemen and, and give them a call. But, it, you know, you have to remember that so much of what this roster is, you know, of course... Hexall has some input into it, but you can only play the guys that you're given. And, you know, f- for better or worse, he wasn't given the option of having Phil Myers as a guy uh, who could be in, you know, in play as as one of these, you know, bottom pair defensemen. Um, Steve Appleman just, uh, wow, in the last 20 seconds dropped this one in. What can the Flyers do about their defense? Did they break up the ghost Pro V pairing that's been great in order to help out the other lines that are struggling? Or did they just write it out uh, and hope it gets better? Elliot is under siege and needs it to change. See, that's that to me, I think, is is the bigger one. Um, I definitely see a, a scenario where Ghost and Provi get broken up. Are they an elite shutdown defensive pair? Yeah. Are, are they fantastic? Yeah. But, you know, most teams in the league specifically don't take their top two defensemen and put them together on the top pair um, for this kind of reason. Not every defensive core has the ability to go six deep and to, you know, roll out three competent defensive pairings. So... You know, it's the same kind of idea, I would say, as what happens if this top line doesn't produce with, you know, Giroux on the wing. You know, maybe they do swap Patrick and Couturier for a few games to see how it goes. But, 
you know, we, we've talked for a long time now about the idea that, you know, maybe at some point the team goes back to Giroud at center because they need to shake it up. I wouldn't be surprised for a few games. Again, if we're like 10 games in, Elliot's under siege and, and no tinkering they've done with the bottom pair does anything. Yeah, it, it stands to reason that they might decide to break up uh, Provy and Ghost. I, I wouldn't like it, but I, I would understand it. Um, Yeah, I, I'm going to go back to Mike Aceto for a second. Um, I, 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 I'm going to say something here that's going to frustrate a lot of people. Don't you dare. I have not seen what a lot of people see in Travis Sanheim. And I don't think it's him being limited. I mean, yeah, I know he's got really nice offensive skill. And I'd maybe like to see him on the second power play. Like he played a little bit towards the end of the season last year. Um, But aside from that, like in five on five, he really seems to lose his footing a lot. He really seems to not be so positionally sound. I, I thought he could have done a really much better job of clearing Landeskog out of the crease on that, you know, go-ahead goal that was the controversial goalie interference goal. But he really didn't do much other than just get there. You know, he got there, and then what happened? He really didn't do anything there. And so, like, I'm not ready to give up on Travis Sanheim yet. I mean, he's only in his second season. Um, and it's the very beginning of his second season. Um, he's also but, done the podcast before, so we have to love him forever. He gets, love him, love him forever. He's he gets fir- at least eighteen months without he's our, he's our first, our first guest, guest on the podcast. Um, Show the man some respect, Anthony. That said, he's a young man. He's trying to find his way in this league. In yeah, this crazy thing that we call life, and it's okay. And I'm not, but I'm not. I'm just not seeing like that next level in him. And, and that's not the, that's not to say that he's not an NHL caliber defenseman because he certainly is, but I don't see that next level where he becomes everything we thought he was going to become. I mean, there was a belief that he was going to be, you know, a top two defenseman, and he was going to be the offensive minded guy. He was going to be more of what Gostas Bear is on on a top pair, um, and he's just not. I just don't see. I mean, he's got time. He's young and whatever. I get all that. Um, but you know, you watch the game enough, you you can see things in players and say, yeah, there's flashes of that. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I just think fans are in love with the fact that he was a first round pick. It was a highly touted prospect, and so now they just want to see him. And I, I'm not, I'm just not thrilled with where he's at. So that that answers, I think, the first thing with that Mike Asita was addressing, and the second thing about splitting up Provorov and Gostaspair. If you recall, at the beginning of last year, they were split up. You had McDonald with Provorov, and you had uh, Gostaspair with Haig. And Gostaspair and Haig played really well together um, for for a period of time. And then they put Gostaspair on the top unit. Of course, everybody loves those two together. That said, I didn't think Gostaspair had a great defensive season last season. Um, so it's always nice to put his offensive ability with a guy like Provorov who's so reliable. Um, but Gossespierre, through two games, I thought has played really well defensively. I mean, really well. Um, it, it's almost like he took us took another step and took that stride, which is a huge positive. Um, so maybe. With that said, and again, it's only two games, so I don't want to jump to conclusions there either. But maybe 
if he if he has taken that next step to being that much better of a defensive defenseman while he's still a really good offensive defenseman then maybe yeah if things you know start to get dire you can split them up and and make it a little bit better defensively through your through your defensive pairs through your lineup um but what's, if he what's that he, you you want to you're advocating for for Provorov and Sanheim together on the top pairing wow wow gutsy I, anthony yes Provorov, I, Provorov and uh, and Sanheim. I would not be. Pair. I would not be opposed to that. Ghost and Ghost and who? Ghost and Haig and McDonald and Gudis. Wow, interesting. The, yeah, uh, I don't know if I. I don't know if I like that last pairing, but okay. Uh, I'll well, go with it, Anthony. You're you're a, a brash fella. I'll, I'll tell you. I don't hate the idea of playing Sanheim with Provorov because Provorov will cover for his mistakes. Bingo. Where. And also allow Sanheim to flourish in that well, offensive defenseman. Mindset. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think that any other defenseman on this team can cover the mistakes that Sanheim Sanheim makes. Um, I think Provorov is the one that has the best chance of it. And yeah, it would give him an opportunity to you know jump into play a little bit more, take a few more chances, and take advantage of that offensive skill set um, that he has that doesn't mean he's going to suddenly fix what what ails him um it just hides it better if that makes sense mm-hmm. so um so that's it's not necessarily a promotion for sanheim as much as it is let's balance the defense a little bit better to try and help the team win okay um before we go we have a a few iTunes reviews, and of course, we have another edition of uh, Who's That Goalie? Or not Who's oh. That Goalie? Oh my God, Who's That Flyer? <laughs> oh, it's late. Uh, all right, let's take am a look. I getting a, am I getting a goalie? We have a uh, we have three. Oh, that that was a question. Hold on, there was a uh, don't die, Anthony. Don't die. That's a lot of paperwork for me. Uh oh, he's muted himself. Okay, so um, there was a Twitter question that came in here. Uh, about goalies speaking of uh messing yeah. up about goalies and it was uh barry schaefer who said uh who do you think gets waived when neuwirth is healthy uh him or pick or him or pickard um do you think they possibly carry all three in some capacity anticipating neuwirth injury and just try to get a handful of good starts out of him line might be back by the end of this month as well i i don't think this team wants neuvi back i think if they can they would they would like to trade him or just get him out of the organization altogether I think the uh, patience has run out with him not being able to stay healthy. I do think that the Lion part of this is interesting. Um, I, if, I believe if the Flyers want to get rid of Pickard, they would have effectively offer him back to Toronto free of charge, and then Toronto could stash him away in the minors, uh, back down with the, the Marlies. So. Yeah, I mean, the Flyers have to keep him on the roster for... I think it's is it ten days or ten games? I forget what it's ten something. Ten I think is it's, something. It's I think it's ten. I think it's ten games. As a matter of fact, um, and if then they have to, they can they at that point can give him back to to Toronto. Um, that very well could be what they're doing. In all honesty, I really it could well be, but I I think that you're right that they're they've had enough of the Michael Neuver saga. And I would not be surprised if they try to do something with Neuver. If not, and if nobody, there's no interest, I wouldn't be surprised if they waive Neuver. Whoa. 
I know that sounds crazy, right? But at this point, if you're going to go out and get a guy like Calvin Pickard who can play as a backup goalie in the NHL. And it's pretty good. Yeah. Why do that if you have another guy coming back from injury and you want to keep him and you want to keep Neuver on the team? Like, so it's one or the other. It's either they want to, you know, they'll give Pickard back to Toronto and they just basically rented a guy short term until the injury was, uh, you know, Neuver was recovered or they've had completely had enough of Neuver and they're going to, they're going to part ways with him. Okay. Um, really quick. We have some, uh, some iTunes reviews. We have three that I'd like to get to. Uh, first one is by R2RS88. I don't know if that's right. Sirky Sanchez. Is that a, maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Did they ever leave one for, my God, this person leaves a lot of reviews and not all of them are five stars. So I feel pretty darn good about the fact, Anthony, that this person gave us a five star review. Real solid hockey talk. The best podcast for flyers talk. Anthony is plugged into the organization has opinions based on his experience and time covering the Flyers. He also comes off as a type, if you don't agree, that's fine. A must-listen for Flyers fans. Looking forward to seeing how they cover the regular season. Well, thank you, RTRS88. Uh, We also have one here from Sam M. Must-listen podcast if you're a Flyer at heart. Uh, Anthony and Russ are top-notch professionals. Ha! 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 They don't know you at all. Oh, thanks, man. Yet they provide a uh, an upbeat, fun, and exciting podcast. Not only do they have insider access that uh, that other podcasts lack, they have a knowledge of hockey that is superior to anyone else I have read or listened to regarding this hockey team. Wow. They get uh, to what the fans want to know without any useless screaming or nonsense that BSH Radio continues to dish out. I started listening to Snow the Goalie a couple months ago, and I have been hooked ever since. Anthony and Russ show a lot of appreciation to the game, the fans, and the organization while adding their fact-supported opinions that really help you gain a better uh, better understanding of what's actually going on with this team. The interviews are so fun. It's really heartwarming to hear the personalities on this team and gain a better perspective of the guys that we root for uh, and that they're just like us. And it gives us just another sense of community that Philadelphia has. I'm proud to be a Flyers fan, and it makes my day being able to listen to other Flyers fans talk about hockey. Thank you, Anthony and Russ. That's a nice, that's a nice review. That's a Gosh long darn one. It. That's a long one, and it was nice. And the fact that heartwarming was used in it, uh, I find almost as delightful as the day that uh, Snazzy Shoes left a review <laughs> and made you giggle incessantly for 10 yes. minutes. And the last one here is by Kev11222, wait, 11225. A great podcast, five stars. I love this Flyers podcast. Great content, best Flyers podcast by far, exclamation point. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Kev11225. Anthony, my battery is about to die, so this is going to have to be a very quick version of Who's That Flyer? Uh, Let's let's, uh, cue the music that doesn't exist. Okay. This uh, Flyer was a uh, a Philadelphia Flyer. He played for one other team only for one season, but he played for the Flyers for, I believe, this was eight seasons. In 1990-91, he was second on the team with 69 points, behind only uh, the great Rick Tockett. <laughs> Anthony, who's that Flyer? So played for the Flyers for eight years. Eight of nine seasons, huh? Yes. Hmm. <clears throat> No, I'm wrong. Nine years. Nine years, and nine out of ten were with the Flyers. Gotcha. Okay. And was you said second on the team in points? 
Yep, in 1990-91, behind only Rick Tockett. Wow. They were a bad team then, too. Um, they were. The coach was, uh, for those wondering, was Paul Holmgren, assistant coach Ken Hitchcock. Hmm. He was from Sweden. Oh, well, then you just gave me the answer. I now, I now know who it is. I knew you, you were going to have a hard time with this. Yeah, Pelly Eklund. Pelly Eklund is correct. Congratulations, Anthony. You did, a, you did a thing. You did the thing. You did it all. Yeah, so, I don't, so I don't like, really have a Pelly Eklund story because I never covered Pelly Eklund. He was gone by the time I started covering the team. Okay. But I will tell you this. Um, in the 80s, uh, Pelly Eklund was the center on a line with uh, Murray Craven and Ilka Sinisalo. And so Sinisalo was, was Finnish. Eklund was Swedish. And so Murray Craven was just good Canadian kid. And uh, didn't, uh, didn't, he needed a nickname. Um, but so because he was playing with a, with a couple of, uh, uh, Europeans, they started calling him Pekka, <laughs> Pekka Craven. Okay. So it was a mix of the two names, Pelly and Elka. So they called him Pekka. That's nice. There you go. If you, little, take, if you take an Pelle L out, you get Pele, Pele, who, uh, of course is, uh, arguably the greatest soccer player of all time. And we've gone yeah. full circle. Uh, don't forget to go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossing Broadcast. Um, I recorded an episode this morning, or no, this evening with uh, with Kevin and Bob. So that was fun. Uh, go check out uh, Cross. Yeah, when, when, am I, when am I? When am I? When am I getting invited to that? Uh, pretty soon. Uh-huh. Uh, keep keep an eye out on your uh, in your DMs. Um, don't go. Uh, don't forget to go check out Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast with Anthony and Bob. I believe they're going into a slight hibernation here as the, uh, mm. the baseball season has concluded. With not, the, uh, not really. We're going to fight in Phils, but they'll be back. We got next some week. stuff. Oh boy, we I'm getting the, I'm getting the super alert on my computer that it's going to die. I better stop. Um, Crossed Up or uh, Crossed Up is a great podcast. Of course, Crossing Broad FC, and it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid and Dave Zeitlin. And of course, Crossing Broad FC uh, is me and uh, Phil Kaidel. Phil Kaidel, K E I D L, not hard to spell. Phil Kaidel. Uh, Anthony and I will be down at Wells Fargo center for the game on tuesday night if you're down there and you want to meet up and say hey just let us know reach out to us on twitter anthony is at ant san philly i'm russ at joy on broad thanks again as always for listening to the only flyers podcast the people's podcast the players podcast and of course that is snow the goalie for anthony i'm russ we'll talk to you again very soon